I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Andrew Gerza. He's a disability awareness consultant and lives with cerebral palsy. Let's talk about it. Um, what's up, Daddy? What's up, Daddy Gerza? <laughs> I, 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 I was confused. I wasn't sure if you were talking to me, because I'm typically Daddy. Oh, my God. Multiple Daddies. What wow. do we do? What do we do? It's, it's my dream. <laughs> <laughs> we are back with uh, Andrew Gerza, our past guest. Um, if you haven't listened to it, I believe the episode title was Disabled Dick. Was that the was that something was? like that? It was something it might have like been that. disabled dad. It might have been daddy might have been in there. bear in a chair. Uh, there was bear, bear, <laughs> in bear, in bear in a chair. That's what this it. that's what this week's <laughs> episode is called for sure. Uh, Andrew, how about we we start it off this way, Andrew? Why don't you why don't you lay down a little bit of knowledge as to who you are to our listeners who might be uh, might be just newly coming on. Uh, who haven't heard the podcast before and haven't heard your episode in the past? Uh, who is who is Daddy uh, uh, Daddy Andrew Gerza? Daddy Gerza, I guess that's what I am now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, my name is Andrew Gerza. I'm a disability awareness consultant, cripple content creator, podcast host. Um, I work specifically in queerness, sexuality, and disability, and I'm also the co-founder and chief disability officer of Handy. Oh yeah, we're gonna get into handy in a bit, which I'm excited for because uh, th- this is new. This is new. Uh, this is I a was new endeavor. Just about that, to ask what that, that is, but I well, mean, yeah, yeah. If you want to save it, if you want to save it, I mean, because I, I thought as soon as do it. well, because I just want to say that when you said handy, I went, oh, that's probably something to do with disabilities, and and it, I'm, it probably is. It is. But then, then when Jer <laughs> said I want to get into handy, I kind of turned a little bit for me and got sexual. And it's I'm, all and those the, things together. You know, all of that is correct. And then guys, I got really, I, I, really interested. I feel like when we, whenever we're talking to Andrew, it's oh, it's, it's going to be a little bit a little sexual. sexual. <laughs> yeah, just a touch, hey, just a, just a tip. Um, so no, Handy is a, a sex toy company that my sister and I spearheaded to create the first line of sex tech, specifically for disabled bodies and specifically for people with limited hand function, because. Mm-hmm. We noticed that when we started asking people about how do you masturbate, a lot of people with disabilities, specifically those with hand limitations, said, well, I can't, or the toys that I use don't take into account my dexterity. So we were like, well, this is something we can we can run with. And so we decided to come up with a company that was a play on handicapped, that was a play on hand job, that was also Ooh. a weird <laughs> amalgamation of my sister and my name. Her name's Heather. My name's Andrew. So, handy. <laughs> wow. oh my god, yeah. there's, there's a lot. So many layers. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so many layers. A- Andrew, um, I, I mean, people people can't see this; they're only hearing this. But um, 
this 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 uh, this product speaks to you because you live with a disability. Yes. Um, what is the what is the disability that you live with? I live with cerebral palsy, spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy, and I am a wheelchair user. So I'm a power wheelchair user, actually. So, yeah. Yeah. You know what? You know it's something that stuck with me so deeply, Andrew. And I don't know if I, I ever mm. said this to you, but um, uh, one thing. So you know, we've been doing this podcast for five years now, and we've learned quite a bit uh, over those last five years. But one thing that stuck with me probably more than anything else. Uh, up to this point in in our career as podcasters was the moment that that we were recording with you when we first met, and I said um, I think I said something to the effect of like um, uh, I was referring to you as someone who um, who is confined to a wheelchair, and That's you right. stepped in right away and you went I wanna I wanna correct you there. By saying I'm not confined to a wheelchair, I am I am someone who uses a wheelchair, and I was like, oh right, I didn't even like mm. that was something that just like never <clears throat> clicked with me, and I really appreciate your ability to <clears throat> to uh, to to check me in that moment and to like correct the way the the way that I was using my language because yeah uh, to me it, it 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 never clicked I had never thought about it that way. But um, what what is like what why what is the difference between someone saying confined to a wheelchair versus um, someone is a, a is a wheelchair user or someone uses a wheelchair? Such a loaded question, but I'll I'll make it as palatable as I can. Confined, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Confined is is this idea that I sit here and I hate it and I'm strapped to it and it's the worst thing that I could ever. Mm. be in and oh my god how dare I, how horrible this is and it's like some torturous device that i'm forced to sit in when really many people who use mobility devices will readily tell you that it's a source of freedom mm. it's a source of i mean i i remember when stephen hawking died i was asked to write a piece for men's health in the states and they they because all these pieces were coming out about how he died and now he's no longer a wheelchair user and he's free to be with the stars and all of us in, in mobility devices were like, what the fuck? He's yeah. taking his wheelchair with him. Like, what are you talking about? He's taking, like, no. So I wrote, how's a he going to get was, around? Yeah. So like I wrote a piece that was like, guys, his, he's taking his chair with him. It's okay that he's like, he's, his chair is a source of freedom. Yeah. And so I just think, I, th- I think to your point, Jeremy, you said, you know, when, when we had that conversation, like God, three years ago now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, you know, it's something that in our pop culture, people say you can find a wheelchair mm-hmm. without even thinking about it. So it wasn't, yep. I didn't come for you to like tear you down at that moment. I was like, this is a great moment for me to yeah. tell my friend, yo, let's maybe talk about that for a minute. Yeah. And you, and you yeah. did it in a way that was, that was, you did it in, in, in the way that it should, that it should be done where you don't tear somebody down and you don't make mm-hmm. them feel like a piece of shit because, you know, they, they get something wrong, but it's just like, you, you know, you're just tuning, you're just tuning somebody into it. And, and I really love, I really love, uh, really putting emphasis on it being on using a wheelchair as being a, as being a tool for your freedom. I was mm-hmm. watching, um, I was watching, uh, fuck, what's the Netflix show that we were talking a lot about the Special? last little bit. Um, no, it was, uh, the, 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 the genetics one, uh, unnatural selection. Yeah. Oh. And they're talking about gene editing and they were, they were following, uh, one of the characters in the, uh, that they followed was, a. Um, was a young guy with uh, spinal muscle, uh, spinal muscular atrophy, 
and he and his and he was getting a, he was getting a treatment uh, a genetic uh, editing treatment and they were like they are asking his parents what would be the best outcome that you would hope for and they were like if he can get into a into his power chair again like we would that would be the most incredible moment of our lives. Yeah, I mean, people mm. think when we do the, when, when we hear about gene editing and we hear about all these things that could eradicate disability, it's not even about that anymore. It's about can these therapies give somebody with a disability a quality of life, not eradicate their disability at all. And it isn't about mm. like I, if I ever was to do a therapy <laughs> for my CP, it wouldn't be to remove the CP from my life. It would be to give me a better quality. Mm-hmm. Mm. Speaking of quality of life and living with a disability, Andrew, uh, just to tie this back into Handy and who those toys are for, one of the things that you said was um, was for people who who don't have um, as much mobility in their in their hands. I'm I'm guessing that you are one of those people who yes. who like a jerk like the idea of jerking off. To me, I just wrap my hand around my cock and. Like tug, 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 and I'm just and gonna hang on to that visual for a while. There, you're, milk a, three, the cow. you're a three stroke. <laughs> Jared's a three stroke daddy. <laughs> yeah, just uh, one, two, two three, kablooey, and then to, and, and that's actually the sound it makes. It's really entertaining. Um, and it's, and my word, cum is I confetti, obviously cock. enough. Um, so so, uh, but but for you, Andrew, um, do do you like? I guess it's not as easy for you to like just wrap your one, hand two, around three, pump. around something. Or yeah. yeah, or to do the one, two, three pump kablooey and, and to have c- confetti come out of my dick. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it isn't as easy. Like I, I since I was young couldn't masturbate with my whole hand. So mm. and I nobody can see this, but I'm showing my hands right now on camera. They're like a little bit misshapen, and so they're a little bit. They're not. They don't sit like like a quote unquote normal hand would sit. Mm-hmm. So, and I also have arthritis and I have different things that cause pain in my hands. So the idea of masturbating if what has never been masturbating conventionally has never been something I could do. Mm. And so as you know, a couple of years ago I gave up masturbating and I started employing and working with sex workers because that was just easier than trying to do it myself. Um, what, when, when you first started to like feel the urges to masturbate and you were trying to like, I'm, I'm curious. Do you remember what it was like, like when you were like, I don't know, like 12 years old, and thinking? Do you like, remember oh, what it was like, Brian? It well, was, I, I remember like, it being great. I, <laughs> I, being like, I, I was gonna say, I, I remember like the first experience and being like, whoa, whoa, this is a thing. This is I remember crazy. It being pretty shocking. And, and, but, <laughs> this is way but, too much confetti. But <laughs> like also, but, but but like I also have the the. Um, mobility in my hand so it was it's like not it wasn't difficult for me to do it but like i i imagine it's a a weirder process when you're i don't know if weird's the right word but like a unique process trying to like relieve some type of tension or feeling that you have when you're like when you're thinking about masturbating on your own when you're like <laughs> you know in your early teenage years Brian, listening to you dance around this is really funny. Yeah, Brian's so uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable at all, dude. I'm I'm not uncomfortable at all. Brian, why are you crying? (laughs) (laughs) You guys, you guys are to release uh, the tension with the blood and the. Just say 
what was it like to come when you were 12? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's not my question. My question is like, how do you masturbate when, when, you're, when you're in your early teenage years and don't have the mobility in your hands to like jerk your dick like that? Whoa. So whoa, there you, there you go. Whoa, so Brian. Whoa, Chill whoa, out, dude. Whoa. Whoa, me a hard whoa dude. You don't have to go that hard question. in the paint. So, so I just want to know what it's like to really just fucking okay, okay. grab onto <laughs> your hog and fucking pull it until confetti comes out. I love how the three of us were being 12-year-olds, and Brian was like, no, I'm trying to ask a real question. <laughs> that, that's the story of my life, Andrew, so. <laughs> um, to answer the larger question, uh, which I can't remember now because we made so many innuendos in the last time. <laughs> but what was it like to masturbate when I was younger? I mean, it was, I, I taught myself how to do it with my thumb, and I would take my thumb and my forefinger and jerk the head of my dick off, and I, I mean, I figured it out. Mm. But it took a lot longer. It was more, it was, I don't remember when I was younger it being painful because I was young and my muscles hadn't contracted as much yet mm-hmm. and my hands weren't as stiff. But as I got older, the, the, it just hurt more to do it. And I was like, well, this sucks. This is not what masturbation is supposed to be. Yeah. How, how so, does the, uh, how do, how do the, the products that, yeah, uh, handy. How, how, handy how, how do they work? How do they, how do I they, am, that is a great question, one that yeah. I am going to defer until the product is out. I am not okay. allowed to oh, say cool. super lot okay. about it. But okay. I thought you were going to show us right now. <laughs> uh, you know, soon, 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 <laughs> the product is slated to be available May 2021. So okay. it's okay. coming, but <laughs> I am just, yes, it is coming with a U. <laughs> um, Have you been testing prototypes do you, or do you, uh, do you hire that out? We, we've been, we've been doing a lot. Well, we don't have a prototype yet. That's on, on its way. We've been working with a lot of people all over the world with different hand limitations to ask them much like what you just asked. How do you masturbate? What works for you? What do you like? And the overwhelming amount of people were like, we want something for us for disabled people with limited hand function. So like, mm. and, but we've get we've gotten responses from the U S Canada, India, all over, and so when we realized how widespread the need was, we were like, "Oh, well, we have to do something really big." And so we're we're excited, really Ooh, excited. Cool. To Very cool. So, so Andrew, um, uh, one thing that uh, people may or may not know is you are. I mean, I I, I hope people are are kind of tuning t- tuning into the fact that uh, sex is a big uh, part of your life and a, a big part of the the uh, the things that you talk about. Um, you have a podcast called Disability After Dark. Um, and, uh, the, the first time that we, we had you on the show, we were talking about, you know, um, dating as a, as a queer man in Toronto who lives with a disability. Um, but something that, that, you know, we, we had talked about, uh, diving into when having you back on the show this time around was, um, the, the representation of disabled, disabled people in, in porn. Um, and I, I'm sure you have a, a bunch to say about that, but, um, I guess like what, what are your, what are your thoughts? Like porn, porn is such an interesting thing. And especially, especially these days, like with, in the, in the time of COVID and like seeing yeah. this like huge rise in amateur porn becoming like a, you know, like, like OnlyFans becoming a household name yeah. within the last six months, um, what so what what is what is what is disability like the representation of disabled people in in porno these days it's extremely lacking it's extremely rare um i shot a porn a few months ago for a studio because they asked me to they were like we know you want to do representation would you do one so i hired 
I hired my my friend who's a porn star and also my favorite sex worker. And I was like, "Come, do you want to come fuck for an hour on camera?" And he's like, "Okay." And so we shot a scene together. But it was wow, like it was. What was that like? I mean, given that I that I've been working with the sex worker as a client now for three plus years, we know mm-hmm. each other. We have a nice shorthand, and like we were playful with each other in a nice working relationship. So that part wasn't scary. And I'm I'm kind of a slut, so I wasn't concerned about being on camera at all like I just I, I was excited because I knew that it would mean somebody with a disability would watch this and mm. see themselves actively represented in a by a person who was severely disabled and also enjoying themselves and I think mm. that's a rarity to see on screen and I think to be able to be one of two gay men that I know who've worked with a bigger studio to do to do disabled porn was really, I was really proud of it. I was really proud to know that that's out there. Mm. It's interesting because it's like we, I don't think, not only do do you not see um, disabled people represented in, in porno, I think a lot of people don't think about disabled people and sex. Like we've talked about this on the show a number of times before, but like the the idea or concept of, of how does one who is uses a wheelchair lives with CP how do they have sex do they have sex like what uh, you know like and so so I guess I guess like um, you know we we might have touched this on this on our first episode with you but like what has been what has been your sexual journey as someone who lives with a with a uh, 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 would you say like an extreme disability. I've never heard it called extreme disability. Uh, the doctors would say that I am severely disabled. Severely. That's the, that's the um, word I was looking for. But I for. like extreme better. Extreme. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my journey has been a lot of rejection, a lot of people not mm. accepting that I was sexual and, and trying to meet, especially in the queer male community. Oh my God, it's like, <laughs> if you don't have a six-pack and you don't have abs and you, don't, you didn't go to the gym five hours ago, you probably won't be talked to. Um, mm. And so for me as a wheelchair user, I made the choice a couple of years ago to hire, to start working with sex workers because I was like, well, I'm not getting what, like, I'm not getting the sex I want. I'm not enjoying this, having to explain that I'm disabled all the time. I want to just, um, I want to just, you know, I want to have the sex I want when I want. And so I made the choice a couple of years ago and I have luckily have the financial privilege with what I do to be able to hire somebody for a couple hours every couple of weeks. And that, that's been kind of where I've stoked my sexual energy in the last couple of years is working with workers. Is there, is there, um, is there any sort of, or was there any sort of hesitation in going down that route due to the, the, the sort of very cloudy nature of the legalities surrounding hiring out sex work? Um, I didn't think about the legalities when I first started doing it because I was like, oh, like you're whatever. thinking with your dick. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking with my, yeah. It's like I wasn't thinking about the legalities, but I was thinking about if I spend this two fifteen hour for a sex worker, can I afford groceries that week? Like mm-hmm. it is right. something I had to consider because I live on social assistance and I live on a very tight pool of money. So I had to consider like, can I can I afford it? But then when I was like, well, it's been a year since I've had sex, like. I haven't had anyone touch me. It wasn't even about sex. It was like, I want somebody to touch me the way that I want to be touched. And it, it, it became so much more than just 
I want to ride your dick for an hour. I want you to ride mine. It was like, I want somebody to be intimate with me for yeah. that time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not getting it the conventional ways. I'm trying on all the apps. Like we, you remember when I was on there the first time and we made a juggle with all my app names. And so like, I'm still doing that, <laughs> but it wasn't getting me anywhere. And it was frustrating as fuck. And I, I just decided that like, okay, if I can do this, I'll do this. And so I, the, you know, I've worked with a, a number of workers to figure out which ones work well with me and which ones don't. And so I have, I have, you know, before COVID, I had a pool of people that I could see and, and work with mm-hmm. when money was available. And the more work I do in, in this area, the more money I can get to help to do that, which, which to me feels therapeutic because mm-hmm. I think everybody deserves the right to that. So mm-hmm. if I'm getting it via sex worker or someone else, what, like I don't see an issue with it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, it, do you feel like, um, wait, like just to kind of piggyback off of, <clears throat> Uh, Jeremy's Jeremy's question there about like the legalities and that you know for you it's like you don't it's, it's like you, you don't really see the you don't really see the legality and and um, or or think of, think of that as even an issue and and I think that that's probably the right way to look at it um, but wh- when I when we first spoke I remember you said that and and I feel like over the last three years and probably starting like a year or two before that so much has changed in the way that the public views sex work like. Um, like it, it, I mean, up until our conversation with you and like around that time, I think my sort of like pop culture, um, uh, perception of sex work was like this dark underbelly of like, you know, like, like, like prostitutes under, under bridges, like leaning into cars sort of thing. And like this thing, you know, this shit you see in like the wire and, uh, and, and realizing that it's written predominantly by white men. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and it's like, and it's. And it's, it's not, and, and then the realization that it's, that it's not that. And like, it, it is like you said, like you, you have like a relationship with this person that you've been, that you've been working with for a couple of years. And like, there's like a professionalism within that. And like, and do you see, like, do you feel like there has been a, a change in that, in that, in that perception? Like over the I last think few years? For the larger community, I don't think when it comes to, the disability community, there's been that much of a change. When I say that I work with sex workers, I'll get one of two answers. The first being, good for you, keep doing what you're doing. And the mm. second being, oh, well, you know, you don't have to have sex with a sex worker. You can get sex the normal way. And I keep being like, well, I tried the normal way. Right. didn't work. Like, I tried the normal way, and I kept getting rejected and hurt and told that I was not worthy or told that I wasn't good enough or told that I was too much mm-hmm. work or told like all these things. And so mm-hmm. sex work allowed me to build a relationship with somebody. And, and the sex worker that I work with right now, he, he never worked with a disabled person before, which surprisingly was a huge turn on for me. Cause I was like, great. I get to show you how being disabled works. I get to be your first gimp basically that you're fucking, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. which is, we now have a running, we have a joke with each other. We're like, you know, I, I was his first, you know, disabled person, and so we always play like I better be your only one. Like I better be your the only one because it's 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 a fun thing to bring somebody to that world. And once once we started working together, and I realized he wasn't gonna like stiff me out of money and try to make it all about the transactional, it became really mm. friendly. And we, you know, mm. it's COVID times. So we haven't seen each other in six months, but we'll still text occasionally, and be like, "Hey, how are you? How's how's Corona life?" And hopefully, when this is when it's safe to be naked again, we can do that. And so I am really proud of what I've been able to cultivate. But again, it isn't for everybody and it shouldn't be the only option that disabled people have access to, but it mm-hmm. should be something that is definitely funded by governments and definitely funded by by states. 
I, I imagine too that uh, I remember last time you were talking a lot about the challenge in uh, communicating with people that you were meeting on dating apps leading up to a uh, like a sexual encounter where it would be really difficult to like it, you'd have to go through this whole process of how you communicate how, like what the experience will be like for for you and for them and how it's going to work out and the things that you need out of the, yep. the, the meetup and I imagine that there's something a little bit maybe easier is the right word about meeting up with a a sex worker because it's a little bit more of like a, Hey, I'm paying for this. So here are the expectations. Here's what I need. And it's, is it easier in the sense that like you can lay out what it is exactly that you need from them rather than like what it would be like if you were meeting somebody on a dating app? I think it's different because the idea that just because I'm paying for it, they're going to do what I want feels feels like sure. you, like you still have to learn. I, and I, as I've learned from working with them, they're still people. They mm-hmm. they still you know get to decide what works for them, what doesn't work for them. And you know, he and I, when we first started chatting, hanging out, and working together, I would get really attached, and he had to be like, "You're great, I like you, but also it's a job." And that was for me was heartbreaking for the first little bit because mm. I didn't. I've never been in a long-term relationship with anybody, sexually or otherwise, ever. So to have this person put a boundary on me was initially like, oh, oh, so I'm still not good enough, even though I'm paying you all this money? And then he was like, no, you're fine, but it's a job. And so that part, even though I I love working with sex workers, and I think it's a great opportunity, that part of realizing that even though they may be enjoying themselves, it is still a job, does sometimes still feel like, oh... Again, it's another thing someone has to do. Mm-hmm. Were you were you nervous going into it? Like, um, uh, you know, I feel like, uh, I mean, I, I've been doing the dating app thing for a while, and and it's like, I know that I know that feeling pretty well of of meeting up with someone and and having that sort of dialogue, and and sometimes that dialogue leads to okay, we're going to like we're going to uh, communicate about consensually having sex with one another and, and like that dance I'm, I'm pretty familiar with. And I, I, ha- I, I had sex with a sex worker one time just to see what that experience would be like. And I was terrified. I was mortified. Like I, I, was, I was so nervous going into that scenario because it was so unfamiliar to me the transactional nature of it, the, you know, like, what, do, like, what am I, you know, what, what, what are the do's and don'ts? I don't know how this world works. Yeah. Um, was there, was there any of that for you in that, in that experience or, or was it, was it for the most part, this like very liberating, um, experience for you? I've had experiences with workers that didn't go so great. I have, I've had people take money from me and, and disappear. I've had people who said one thing and did another or didn't show up mm. at all. Like it's, it's been a real learning curve. That's why I said earlier, like I stick, I stick to the two or three that I know and trust. And I like, but the first time I was terrified. Cause I was like, this guy's really hot. I want to fuck him, but also he's working. What, like what, what, what are the rules? What mm-hmm. am I supposed to do? And so, so now like it's taken me and my primary worker years to carve out this like comfort level with each other but now it's like when he comes over, we're just friends. We're hanging out, and we happen to get naked, and then we fuck, and then it's over. Like, right. I, I'll pay in advance because I trust him, and we trust each other. So, like, I don't have to pull out a wad of cash at the end. Mm. It's like that's already taken care of. That's already done. 
So mm. that feels, it doesn't feel like I'm meeting somebody on a street corner and pulling out a wad of cash being like, here, let's go for a date. It's like mm-hmm. we already know each other. It's already been discussed. We know what's happening. Like, it isn't this seedy thing. It's like two friends hanging out, one of which happens to get paid for the for what they're doing. And it, mm. it doesn't feel weird now. And, I mean, we've had dates where I've paid him, and we've just walked around the city and just talked. And, yes, I'm paying for that. But it's also like, oh, I get to spend time with a really good-looking person and just walk around. I don't mm-hmm. have to... There's no expectation of, for me or, or him to have to whip our dick out right away. Like that's not a lot of what you're what you're doing when you hire a sex worker. As I've learned, is you're not hiring them just for their body. You're literally hiring them to have somebody to talk to, to have somebody to companionship. Yeah, companionship yeah. that hopefully leads to like I'm gonna get my dick sucked. But if that didn't happen, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, sure, yeah. yeah, like yeah. if that doesn't happen, then that's okay too. Like I've had sessions yeah. with my workers, and they've said, you know what, I'm not really feeling super sexy i can hang out for a bit if that's all right and like that that's proof again that they're human beings and they Mm. sometimes don't want to do what they're doing or they're not into it but they want to still spend time with you and so with my worker Mm -hmm. that i see all the time that's kind of what we that's the relationship we have if he's having an off day he lets me know like and we'll reschedule or we'll move things around or he'll go home or if he doesn't feel good or if i don't feel good and it's it's comfortable because i don't expect anything from him that he doesn't want to do Mm. One thing that, uh, you know, since we recorded the, the very first time, um, you've been, I, I've like, I've been seeing you in, uh, in, in my orbit through, through, you know, it's articles online. Because and, I've been and, stalking you, actually. Ah, I knew it. I fucking knew it. <laughs> Didn't we talk about uh, I have a giant crush on you three years ago? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Google knows as well. <laughs> no, you're making me blush. Um, uh, but there, there was one thing that I actually saw that popped up um, in in my like news feed, which was you. You had, um, I, I believe it was a CBC article where you had you had talked about um, coming out to your your mother about yep. not about your sexuality, but about your um, you're having sex with sex workers. Uh, yeah. can we talk about that a little bit? Like I, I, I'm, I mean, fuck my mom listens to this podcast. So now my mom does know that I had sex with a sex worker. I don't think I've ever come out to her. But hey, hey, mom, 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 hey, this is, this is it. I, I had sex with a sex worker. Um, so what was that? <laughs> Shit. What, was that pro- <laughs> what was, what was that process like for you? And like, I guess. Um, what was it I like for you was, just now, Jer? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna have to process <laughs> the this. look on your face right now. <laughs> is literally my favorite look ever. <laughs> um, um, well, I, yeah, I guess like what was the what was the driving factor to have that conversation with your mom? I, I guess would be the first thing that I'm curious about. Well, I mean, I had been doing it since 2017, and I had been I had been not entirely honest with her. She'd say, "What are you doing tonight?" And I said, "I have a date with somebody." She'd be like, "Oh, you met somebody?" and so I would just say, yeah, I have a date with a guy, which was code for I'm paying for someone to come over and suck my dick. Um, but I didn't know how to tell her. I was ashamed because I didn't want her to think that I was doing something seedy, that I was like doing mm. something that was wrong. And because of all the stigma around sex work, particularly you know in her generation, sex work meant you were down and out. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was, I was concerned that she would feel fear for me and so one day when we her and i talk every day we're on the phone with each other literally just before i spoke to you we talk for an hour so like we we talk all the time we're very close to each other um right. um and i we were on the phone one day and we we're just talking about something and there was a lull in the conversation and i said you know mom i gotta tell you something i uh i work with sex workers and i remember 
I said it. I said it really fast. I was like, I work with sex workers. And, the, and then I, <laughs> I paused. And I, in that pause, I thought she's going to disown me. She's going to tell me that it's not good. She's going to tell me that she's disappointed. I was all worried. And she went, oh, good for you. If I were in your situation, I would do the same thing. And I, this huge sense of relief came over me. And I, I ended up telling her the whole, you know, how much I pay, what the rates are. Who you know who they are and how like I we had a whole conversation about it and it made me feel really safe in the knowledge that she understood what I was doing she understood why I was doing it it wasn't for some CD reason it was because Andrew wanted access to sex and wanted to and I explained to her that I wasn't feeling I wasn't feeling like I was getting the sex I wanted so mm. I tried this was it, it was, a shock to you that she that she responded that way were you expecting were you expecting something different? Oh, yeah. Like I said, I was expecting, you know, she's going to disown me. She's going to tell me how dangerous it is. She's going to tell me how seedy it is. She's going to tell me that it's not safe for me because I'm disabled. And her literal reaction was, oh, good for you. <laughs> did you have a, did you have like a, um, did your, did your like perception or your, like how you view your mother change? Like I think, I think back to like when I was young and, like in my teens and smoking weed. And I thought that like, if my mom found out I smoked weed, it would be like the end of the world. <laughs> and then finding out that she's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I was like, Whoa, you're my so different. Cool. <laughs> no, she's told me stories about her life as a, as a teenager. And I'm like, wow, you did what? So like, <laughs> but this was a whole different thing for me to, to admit, but it brought me a lot closer to her. It made our relationship mm-hmm. so much more, so much stronger because I was like, I can now, I can pretty much tell you anything now. And I don't have to ever feel afraid that you're going to be angry or upset or you're going to tell me that it's wrong. I can just tell you the truth. And like, so it's allowed me to tell her stuff that I would never tell her otherwise. And so I'm really, I'm proud of that because I think a lot of disabled people might want to try hiring a sex worker or doing things that their parents might not approve of and not being able to have that conversation can be hard. Mm. Would um, Andrew, would you would you ever be a sex worker? And the reason why I ask uh, is because I know that you're a, a disability consultant, and I'm sure that I'm sh- uh, maybe I guess my question is, is: Do people ever come to you and ask you about for advice on on being a sexual being as somebody who lives with a disability? And yes. if if they like needed some help, and you were in the position to help them, would you ever? do that i mean that's a but just because if i was the sex worker my monies would be like had like because i'm on social assistance my money like i would have to like explain where i got this weird influx of money all of a sudden so (laughs) but i mean from mowing lawns yeah from a from a from a philosophical standpoint like i have no problem with it i think part of my my work is to teach people about disability and specifically sex and disability. So why wouldn't I teach you and also get paid for it? Like so many people want to know how, mm-hmm. how to fuck a disabled person. Okay. You want to know how great I'll teach you, you know, pay me my hourly rate and then you'll learn. So I have no problem with it. I, and I know there are a lot of disabled people who turn to sex work because it's an easy way to make money. It's an easy way to use what they have, their body to teach somebody, but also for them to make money for things like in the U.S. when the, where the healthcare system isn't free and they need money to just survive. Like I know people that that just have to do it to live, and so I think it's I I personally and I'm 
I really enjoy sex and I enjoy being sexual, so I wouldn't have a problem with it. No. Mm-hmm. When you when you do um, disability consulting, what does that look like? Like what what are some common um, issues or problems that either people or organizations would come to you to get your advice or perspective on? It looks like this. It's, it's conversations with people about disability. Specifically, I'm hired usually to do, come and talk to us about sex and disability for an hour. So it literally looks like this. Mm. Me on a Zoom call with a bunch of people and being like, hi, I'm the presenter. Here's my experience with sex and disability. Um, I do a lot of my consulting in, over Twitter and a lot of my like ideas about disability over Twitter. That's how I've gained amassed such a weird social media following because I... Most of what I do to make my money is like, let's give you sex and disability 101. But there's a lot of more stuff I want to talk about, like access and what disability feels like and like that. The kind of stuff we don't really touch on in the disability discourse. Mm-hmm. Cool. Do you have an OnlyFans account? Just curious. <laughs> you know, I've thought about it, but given given that I need help to undress and redress and do all those things, like I wouldn't. And I need a, I need to hire a camera person. So like by the time I hire all those people, how much money would I actually make? Probably zero. So like it's something I've thought about. Like, but I've also thought about opening one up that isn't me getting undressed. That's me talking about disability justice through a sexual lens. I don't know. It's something I have thought about. But then I have the podcast. So like, cool. why do I need another what, thing? What are your uh, what are your what are your thoughts on um, what are your thoughts on accessibility? Um, especially you're in Toronto, like, um, I'm, I'm wondering, I, I find accessibility, the conversation and the, the sort of like the, um, the holes in accessibility in different cities, places really interesting because, um, I think that, I think that we were talking with somebody, I can't remember who it was and I can't remember when it was, but they said something along the lines of, of like accessibility doesn't just mean accessible for people with disabilities. It's accessible. It, it means that it's accessible for everybody. So like a ramp, yeah. for example, it's like everybody can go up the ramp, but not everybody can go up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really like stuck with me because I was like, oh, well, yeah, well, why aren't things just designed to be universally used really no matter what your situation is and what, whatever yeah. your circumstances? Are there any, is there anything that like sticks out in your immediate world, in, whether it's Toronto or Canada, things that are in the accessibility world that, that stick out to you? I mean, I think we have to remember that access is not just the button, the elevator, the ramp. It's a feeling in your body. You know mm. when you're being included in something, and you know when you're being excluded. And if you're being included, that feeling is great. I'm here. If you're being excluded because of access, that feeling feels like crap. It sits in your chest, and you feel like, oh, this this is what ableism feels like. like that's what it is. And people forget that access is, is a feeling, and if we started realizing that it, it when you're excluded in that way, it sits in your body, and it, it's a trauma that your body has to then figure out. So like if we just did more to try and it's not even about making it 100% accessible all the time. It's about trying. And if you, mm-hmm. if it isn't 100% accessible, um, then, then that's okay. But did you try? Did you listen to the person that needs accessibility? Did you ask accessibility questions? If you did that, then okay. It's not 100% accessible, but you're, but you're closer than if you had zero. Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this very short break. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? 
I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You know, speaking of, of, of accessibility and... and living with a disability, what has, what has COVID been like for you? You know, it's like, it's been a really fucked up six months, um, for everyone. It feels um, like six years. It's like, I, it feels yeah, like, like, I know, doesn't it? It feels for like, we've been in this forever. six years. Yeah. What, what has been, what has been life for Andrew during COVID-19? Um, well, a lack of a sex life completely. Like, I've totally had to stop working with my sex workers physically, mm-hmm. uh, which has been really hard because, like I said, intimacy and touch is so rare already when you're disabled. So that mm. sucks. And then I, um, for the last six months, I had to have a catheter inserted in my body just because I didn't want any of my workers to touch me every day. And I was like, I don't want to risk transmission. So I made the choice of putting a catheter in which then led to a bunch of infections and a bunch of hospitalizations and a bunch of stuff happened. And so, like, it's been, aside from being super isolated because of COVID, it's been a really lonely time. Like, I, I, I when it first started in March, I was like, oh, okay, it'll be a month or two and then we'll be back to whatever. But now, with all the stuff that's happening with it, I'm like, it's going to be, it's going to be years. And that, mm. that's scary to me. Like, that, the realization that we might in three years' time, still be wearing a mask to say hello to each other. It's like, what the... Really? Fuck. And so that's been hard. And also, like, the realization that disabled people are still not being heard in a time when our bodies are are deemed disposable. Like, what what are we doing? It's, like, not so much in Canada, but a lot in the U.S. right now. Mm -hmm. Disabled people are worried about dying from COVID because people don't care. And that's Mm -hmm. scary. Can we can we just go back to the uh, catheter for a second? Um, what? Why do you why do you need a catheter? I don't think I totally understand that. <laughs> sure, sure. So a catheter is something that I use every day uh, to to pee, and so basically that's like it goes inside your urethra and it hurts like a bitch, and you pee. Uh, and so they do that they do that manually for me every day. Sucks. Um, but because of the COVID, if they were to come in four times a day and do that, they have to touch me. And I thought it would be safer. And by they, by they, you mean your, um, care staff, the, the, your care staff that comes in. Yeah. Right, sure. Okay. Could be, yeah. Because otherwise you can't, do you, uh, sorry uh, to, to kind of like interrupt there, but have you, have you always used a catheter, Andrew? Is no, like a cat- I, okay. I could, I could pee. Up until about four years ago, I could pee, and then one day I got the flu, and then I just stopped being able to pee. Okay, and okay. I went to the and doctor. And so the catheter isn't necessarily new. It's It's been something you've been doing for four years. Yeah. But when but, COVID started, it's like you these people have to come in and get really close to you, yeah, so you, so, you so, didn't want to well, be so close. Before COVID, and mm. now, because it's kind of relaxed a bit here, so mm. <laughs> now they have to, they come in. They put it in your dick and you go pee and then they leave. But I was worried that like if they touch me every day, what if they have COVID? And sure, sure enough, a month and a half in, one of the staff here got COVID. Oh shit! Oh my gosh! So we freaked out. 
Um, and so I was lucky to have the catheter in because it, mean, it meant that nobody would touch me. But then because of that, a kidney infection happened and like a UTI happened. and Because like, you left it in? Because well, I, I would change it every month like you're oh. supposed to. But still, infection happened, and so oh, wow. it just my body didn't like that. So I, I took it out last month. I feel much better, but it was like just not. It was something I wanted to do because I was afraid. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that you could keep a catheter in for for so long. Like I, I guess I had always I had always pictured a catheter being like a, uh, you know, like a a, a one and done a couple of days things. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean uh, fuck no. Like I I thought even just like. You gotta, you gotta put the catheter in, take the piss, take it out, and then and throw it away. Dude, like every piss. Be, well, that is that that is the kind that I use. But there is there are medical ones that they put in and they leave for a month. Right. And so okay. in this Shit. case, I just thought like I just thought it would be safer if no one touched me. And then when when of, of course the yeah. attendant got COVID, I was like, see, I was right. But so then, wait, so but with your care staff that that come in, did you just like? opt to not have anybody come no, in. No, no, no. They still came in and did dinner, put me to bed, got okay. me up and showered me and did all the stuff that I would normally do. But I, 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 I thought, I don't want to get COVID in my dick. Like, I don't want to get, like... <laughs> no one wants dick COVID. Like, I dick just COVID don't want the dick worst COVID. COVID going around. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I just thought it was not... A, I thought it was safer to just be mm. cautious. And I thought it would last a month, two months. It lasted five. And so I'm yeah. happy it's out now. So, so, uh, what was that process like, you know, getting, getting sick like that? Did you, did you have to, did you have to go to the hospital or? Yeah. yeah fuck. So I had a bowel obstruction cause I also have on top of CP and on top oh. of the P stuff, I also have IBS. Yay. Fun. Oh, and shoot. so in the middle of June, I got, I got vomiting spells and real super fun. So I had to go to the hospital and they're like, Oh, you have a bowel obstruction. You could die. <laughs> Great. Great. Oh, no. So they were like, well, you can go home or we can do a surgery right now. And I had to literally look at the doctor and be like, doctor, what would you do if it were you? And he goes, well, I'd have the surgery. And I was like, great. That's what we're doing. So like. Is, was it a barium enema? That's not a surgery. No. That's a <laughs> that's Tuesday. What kind of surgery isn't, was isn't, it? A barium enema isn't like considered a surgical operation. Isn't no. it something no, to find a tube out. up your ass and they just pump you full of barium? And then you shit it out. It's an enema, not not a not a surgery, Brian. Yeah, but there's something going inside your body, so I thought maybe it was still considered a no, surgical operation. No, I don't operation. think that's considered Wait, a surgical. So I just procedure. had a sandwich like an hour ago. Is that a surgery? Did I? Just, yeah, yeah, that's not a foreign yeah. object. That's Dude. food. Well, well, but it is a foreign object. Every, every, shit time, on every, time someone, every time someone fingers your asshole in the bedroom, that's surgical. Guys, I'm just saying this could be one of those moments where somebody writes us after and goes, "No, no, Brian was right." Fuck you guys. Uh, that, it which be. happens um, fairly frequently. Are we, can uh, we Google that? I don't want to say right fairly now. frequently. Uh, but. Relating to or used in surgery. That's surgical. But So let's look up surgery. Surgery. Uh, the definition of surgery. The treatment well, of injuries or disorders to, of the body by incision or manipulation, especially with instruments. I'm going to look it up, Cardiac surgery. Well, I mean, Brian's not technically wrong then because in... The thing they put the barium is a, is an instrument. It is an instrument. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, a manipulation instrument. I mean, hey, listen, 
There's doctors that fucking listen to this podcast. Hit us up. Don't you have famous uh, people so that listen to this podcast? I'm famous just saying, people. you guys, you guys <laughs> yeah. shouldn't. Anyone, you guys any shouldn't famous be people so know? quick to discredit me. <laughs> yeah, yeah Doctor Mike, do you listen to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, definitely a procedure. That's for sure. It, it's yeah, definitely anyway, a procedure. A procedure. But it, I, I wouldn't say it's a surgery. <laughs> um, what uh, Andrew? What was the <laughs> surgery <laughs> that <laughs> you that you ended up uh, needing to have? I had a. Adhesion in my bowel that from an older surgery, and they were like, "Guess what? Every five to ten years, whenever you have tummy surgery, that can happen." And I was like, "Great!" So I just had tummy surgery. Will this happen again? They're like, "Yeah, probably at some point." I was like, "Oh, amazing! Great!" So like, I had they went in and laparoscopically removed the adhesion, which is like just scar tissue, which is like super fun. And I got once I knew I was safe, and once I knew that they were going to take care of me, like I was actually surprised by how good they were in the hospital with me like they had masks on they had ppe they did all i was i because i had never been in i had not been admitted since covid and i wasn't expecting to be and then i was and i was like oh, okay well i don't feel i don't i didn't feel as scared as i was expected to be mm. that's good like like the the hospital just didn't feel like because i feel like when covid when covid really like when the shit took off it seemed like hospitals were being portrayed as war like war zones yeah to be in. Mm. Like it just didn't. It just felt like it. It just was way more, you know. The the like it didn't live up to the hype. I mean, no, the hype being bad. Obviously, I mean it was. They were actually really. They were really, really took good care of me, which I was surprised about because most of my experiences in hospitals haven't been amazing, and they try really hard to make me feel mm-hmm. comfortable for the four days that's that I was great. there. That's good to hear. Mm-hmm. Was some- the I, I've had laparoscopic surgery before, and I know that uh, when they like pump you full of that that gas. It's so it's really really uncomfortable. Like they 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 like when I went in for my surgery due to bowel obstruction, but also something a, a little bit more intense. Um, they it's not a game. They they <laughs> so anyway, more it was yeah. Something. It was the more intense uh, thing. I'm gonna one up you. Well, I had intussusception, which my my large intestine was being swallowed. Cool. Okay, you win. All right. I know. I I studied that when I was figuring out what the fuck I had too. Yeah. So they 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 removed a big chunk of my colon, but in that Uh, laparoscopic surgery, there's uh, there's a there's a lot of gas that they need to like inflate you with, and that was the most that that the gas trapped in your body for like four days was like the most painful thing I've ever mm-hmm. experienced. It's like you, old, were it's you going old through farts. that? It's old farts yeah. just sitting there. And yeah, you're like, a bunch of old farts in your chest. And every, yeah, and every fart is like, oh, this, and you, it's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. But yeah. they tell you how important it is to pass gas. Well, you know, yeah. uh, they, didn't they come around to you every day and we're like, Katie, did you fart today? And you're like, uh, I guess so. Yeah, they Dude, definitely I were, had, yeah. I had laparoscopic surgery and I don't think I had to get that. Did you have it on your on your uh, abdomen? Like on your 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 tr- oh yeah yeah your torso. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Weird. What and, and and it's to make space, right? So that they can so, yeah, I think so, so they can see like, what the organs are, and they can get they right. can put that big scary thing that you don't get to see in you. I think. Oof, oof. Yeah, yeah. So they can play the video game of internal surgery. Yeah, it's like Mario with a yeah. Um, hey, Andrew, I had a question about uh, COVID-19 and uh, the community of people living with disabilities. I, I feel like one of the things that COVID has highlighted is the fact that uh, we don't do enough to protect vulnerable populations, mm-hmm. especially people living with disabilities. Yep. And I'm curious if you know, from your perspective, if, there, if there's 
if this is a problem that's been highlighted and now things are being done about this or, you know, is it like, hey, this is highlighted problem. But like, again, as usual, it's being highlighted, but I don't think anything is actually being done. And people are talking about it all the time. There are tons of think pieces right now. that are like, hey, I hope that after all this Corona stuff, we can still work from home. Like, I hope that that's still a thing. Like, and many disabled people are saying that, but are they going to do it? Who knows? Like, we won't know until years after Corona to see what what policies are actually going to stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah be... it seems like this is like an an opportunity that I mean, the first step is obviously acknowledging that there's a problem and having a like. Obviously, it fucking sucks that there's a global pandemic, but the fact that it is highlighting that there are you know challenges. There's within disparities the, that we've just the, overlooked, and to, that like, and even with the um, um, you know like uh, old age homes or nursing homes, like the. again that has been something that is highlighted by covid but like will there actually be concrete change that comes out of this well look how many people are dying in those in those long-term care homes like that's where all the death is happening because and it's not happening just because of covid it's happening because of the lack of care of Mm. older people and elderly people and that's terrifying like aren't we supposed to be respecting those people aren't they the people that built canada why are we letting them die just because like that's the level of entitlement I think that has come from this pandemic like makes me kind of ashamed to be a millennial. It's like, ew, if this is what my generation is going to do, I don't want no part of it. Like, ew, no. Because it's just it's not fair. And it makes me think about what if I reach 70 and I'm also a disabled older person, what kind of shitty care am I going to get? And that's what's mm-hmm. scary for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were having this conversation. <clears throat> we had this conversation with um, um, with a doc in Toronto who was the head of geriatrics at, uh, what was the hospital? Was it Sinai? Mm, I believe so. Uh, head of geriatrics at Sinai, and and it was, and it was fascinating. We had a conversation about about like the way that we do long term, the way that we have like long term care facilities set up here, and the way that some other countries do it. Because when 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 your country does something bad, I think the natural question is always, what country does it good? And and looking at the way that some other countries that you know have similar resources similar populations or at least like per capita um, situations and, and like going, well, they do it like this and no one's dying there and Mm. they don't have like their care is, is outstanding. And, and then you, you get, and you, you don't understand why, why don't we do it that way? Like why, when there's like a tried tested and proven method, like why, you know, we're a developed country. We have, you know, like, why Why aren't we doing shit that way? Because we have people in power who would rather, <laughs> like, do you want me to say my real feelings all the time? Because we have people in power who would rather, me. you know, give things to a charity than, you know, do what <laughs> they're supposed to do. Like, that's what it is. It comes down to capitalism and money and, and greed a little bit. And so I think, like, if, like, like, look at the Canadian emergency benefit. It's being stopped in a couple of weeks. I would hope that it would turn into universal basic income mm. after CERB because mm. it's proving that we need this money, not just we, but everybody needs this kind of income to feel okay and that the effects of this pandemic are going to last not even after it's sort of gone. It's gonna, the effects are going to last generations. So mm. why, aren't yeah. we, why aren't we planning for that? I think that's certainly something that is, uh, that is coming out of that's definitely, like, highlight, like, again, one of the many things that has been highlighted. Um, uh, Andrew, I, I, I 
that just kind of popped into my head as I was as I was saying that last um, that last piece there. Is there um, when you are when you are thinking about um, when you are doing your disability consultant consulting um, and thinking about or thinking about accessibility or anything like are are there are there any whether it's a city or or uh, a state a province a country mm-hmm. are there places that you look to that you go like that you point to and go hey these these people are doing are doing something really well and like we could learn from what they're doing i've heard that in the netherlands i think or in denmark they have a st- a stipend for disabled That's people always that denmark they give them like you know 1200 bucks a month to do whatever they want with like that's great why don't we have that? And yes, we get social assistance, but it's not free money. The minute I make a dollar outside of what I'm given by the government, they take it away. So it mm-hmm. isn't money where you can ever get ahead. It's never money where you can feel like you're secure. It's like if I work and do a big talk where I make some money, I have to claim it and then I lose half of it. So like, did I, mm-hmm. what's the point? So it's just mm-hmm. we just need more services that are like let's – like, that's what I loved about Sir when it first came out. Because it's like, oh, money? Great. Where well, we can survive? Why doesn't this transition into 2000 bucks a month just because? Like, mm-hmm. what I would do with 2000 bucks a month as a disabled person, I would feel secure. I would have food security. I would have – I could travel if I wanted to. I could, like, go for dinner once a month and feel like I didn't, you know, waste all my money. You could have sex. Yeah, I could hire yeah. as many sex workers as I wanted. But like, I could, you know, I could <laughs> – I could, Feel, I can have you could, orgies. You could <laughs> feel upon you could, orgies. You could yeah. feel you could feel productive, and and yeah. and that's and that's essentially that's essentially what. It's not even so much productive. It's a, I want to feel safe. I want to feel secure. I, like, but when you feel those things, someone, you feel you can yeah. feel like it allows for the space to feel productive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. when wanting to feel safe and wanting to feel secure and like wanting to feel secure with your food and everything. Like, when those things are what are top of mind, feeling productive becomes really fucking challenging mm. because yeah. all those other things take up your space. And really what yeah. the government what the government wants in it, it, in in in, in like, taking into account the the like capitalism and greed that exists on in in pretty much every government around the world what they want is for the people that live in their country to be productive mm-hmm. yeah. and so finding things that finding things that work to make people feel the things that you just alluded to Ooh, feeling yeah. safe feeling secure but i think the government's version of productive and my version of productive are two very different things i think that's where i struggle with because the government's version of productive is what are you doing for the economy my version of productive is did you do something that made you smile today like did you do Ooh. something that made you feel good today and i think I, th- I hope that after this, capitalism is like shifted and changed in a way that puts marginalized people in a more secure position. I don't think that'll happen, but that's that's the dream. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious what you guys think about, like just talking about what the government wants versus what we want. I, I've been trying a lot lately to stop thinking about the government as this thing that's detached from all of us, because ultimately the government is made up of people that are part of our communities. And if we stop thinking of it as this separate idea and realize that instead of it being this thing that's detached from who we are as uh, like a, even a national community, then it starts to feel like we can actually affect more change because if the, if the majority of people wanted one thing, I feel like we have a better chance at actually achieving that. And I don't know if you guys feel like that is attainable or if it's not fair to think of it like that, but I've been trying to think of it like that because 
I what are you think a fucking it, communist, Brian? <laughs> no, it's not. It has nothing to do with like you know, like communist. even an, an, an idea of communism. It's just like, hey, like the reason why things are the way that they are at the top is because there are human beings that believe something. So if we can change the beliefs of the people that make up that, you know, the government, for example, because it's people at the end of the day. If we can change the beliefs of those people and highlight uh, what if the, we can just remove some of the rhetoric, like all of it is rhetoric like most of government politics is just saying what they think is the right thing like trudes stop saying what you think is right and just say what you really think for a minute can you just can you try that let's try that let's start there like (laughs) yes you're pretty and yeah thanks for like thanks for not being trump but also like you've done some pretty (laughs) shitty stuff and so like you know he's been fighting in the for the last few weeks about the disability benefits that that piddly six hundred dollars that disabled mm. people could maybe get if this thing was passed. And I was like, you know, we're actually, <laughs> you're actually going to debate this right now? Why, is, why are you not using your power as the prime minister to be like, no, disabled people deserve this little bit of money. Here it is. Like, that's, I think, my issue with governments is, like, they're not run by disabled people. They're not. So, sure, Trudeau has a wheelchair-using guy in cabinet. That's nice. But does he get to make decisions or is he just but- there? But like the the thing that I was gonna like the thing that I'm kind of implying here too, and maybe I should say more directly is like if we, so you said that um, Trudeau is saying what he th- thinks is the right thing to say, but he's only saying that because people inform what as a group what that quote unquote right thing is. Yeah. So if we could educate the population better and and think in a, in a more critical way together and be more inclusive of everybody's ideas, then we would stop having this organization that just focuses on the people that they think are going to actually go out and vote, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, you know, if we just set one day every year where the entire population of the country takes one tab of acid, Awesome. Everything would be fixed. Everything would just be yes. fixed. You know? would, it, that's what CERB should be used for. That or, is what or yeah, that, universal yeah, yeah. basic yeah. income to make sure that yeah, everybody that has access there, you know? to psychedelics. Uh, Andrew, it's always a fucking pleasure to sit down and chat with you, man. So uh, nice to chat with you. you all yeah, too. yeah. Thank you for thank you for everything that you do. Continue to do the work that you do and to uh, spread your positivity and to spread your your uh, your education. Are you going to say legs? <laughs> I mean, fuck yeah! Spread your legs if you can. I, I mean, let's let's do it, uh, Andrew. It's it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, we will be back next week with another wonderful conversation. And in the meantime, if you want to support the podcast, uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts and hit the rate and review, the subscribe buttons, and then you go to Spotify and follow us. You can do all that stuff. Um, uh, but you can also support the podcast further by going to patreon.com slash sickboy. I just want to smash that URL, smash that patreon.com slash sickboy into the URL, and then just smash that that c- contribute button and just become a part of our Patreon community. We love y'all. Mm-hmm. You guys are the cornerstone of this podcast. You have been since day one, and we appreciate everybody who supports us on Patreon. And... We hope you to join us. Patreon.com slash sickboy. Jump on over there and then, like I said, just smash it. Smash your way right on over to being a, a, a patron. And if, you know what? Smash your way over there and also smash your way on over to Disability After Dark over on uh, wherever you find podcasts. On all the podcast places. That, that, that's it. It's another great, great pod. 
And as always, thank you to our manager, Jeff Lonis. Thank you to co-producer and communications lead, Lauren Sankey. And thank you to the amazing sound designer of the show, Donovan, the meerkat Morgan. Donovan, thanks for making us feel like we're in a bear cave today because, you know, we're sitting here with our, our friend Andrew Gerza, a.k.a. the bear in the chair, and uh, I want to know Brian, what it wait, sounds which, like what kind of bear cave, dude? Fris- yeah. Are we talking like, are we talking frisky, like frisky bear cave? A sex dungeon? Oh, What's so <laughs> I didn't say it, but this is what it sounds like. I feel like we're far, we're far too fast yeah. for that. I feel then. like there's a lot of skin <laughs> slapping together. I can smell it. Listen to this. Listen to this. This place is amazing. Dad, you like. Oh, God, Brian. <laughs> that is it for this week. <laughs> I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jerry. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.